Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, the actress Sydney Sweeney was under fire on Twitter last week because of a video or photos uh, of her at, I think, like a, her parents' house party uh, where there were likely MAGA people and also some pro-police t-shirts. We need to take a public position on this. What do you think it should be? Oh, God, I'm so glad I missed whatever news cycle that is. I don't know who Sydney Sweetie is. I don't know what the controversy was. Uh, really? Like, that's good. I have no be, idea. Yeah. You should be proud. I wish <laughs> I, I could live a life like that. I, <laughs> you're a slave to the news cycle. So, first of all, who Sydney Sweeney is, did you watch either White Lotus or Euphoria? No. Okay. Well, no. Um, uh, yeah, she is a hot young actress. Oh, we know where, we know what your type is. Yeah, uh, so, uh, not in this case. Just a <laughs> blonde. So all it was was that there are people who are MAGA fans, and what? Maybe like a blue lines, a blue, blue line kind of like. Blue line. Yeah, uh, and people t-shirt. wanted to cancel her for it. I don't know. Like it was hard <laughs> to tell. You know. Um, God, man. My position is that I will still do drugs with Sydney Sweeney. Because <laughs> euphoria makes it look so fun. <laughs> no, I was. So I didn't see that, but in White Lotus, her and her friend are in this Hawaiian island, and they all, they each of them bring like this, like you know, huge supply of drugs, which like they then lose. Um, it gets kind of stolen from them, and I, yeah, the show's not good after that. Like it was awesome when they had all the drugs. <laughs> I seriously am like I. Like I, I get, like I, I guess I could see why people might care, but really, like I would have to fire like my plumber and shit, you know, who like pulls up to my house with his thin blue line sticker. Oh my god! <laughs> Getting. I don't know if I can still do the podcast with you. You just let like pro police have plumber. The, <laughs> do you ever have the, those situations where you're talking to somebody because you're being, you're just being like whatever, like normal, like a, an mm. Uber driver or somebody who's come to like to your house for some reason or other and then they just all of a sudden say something that you're just like oh shit oh okay yeah <laughs> oh in retrospect i guess but yeah yeah it doesn't bother me i don't mind talking to people who have it doesn't bother me at all no, no. god no it's good like, it's like good to be able to talk to somebody like that it can get a sense of like where they're coming from 
Um, well, even if it's not good, I don't care. Even if like, I don't know. Right. It's it doesn't like, have uh, to be useful in like, the struggle <laughs> right. against depression. It's just like, it's good right. to be able to talk to a wide range of people. Yeah. And it, it just as like a human being. And you don't have to like, ha- I feel like there's this weird view that that must weaken my stance on the issues. If I, yeah. if I have any association with those people. You tolerate but, their company. That seems that seems like a big error of modern times yeah. that uh, that it is like endorsing or somehow lessening your commitment to say not want guns to, to like have a friend who's into guns. I, this is where I think <laughs> this is going is you're going to say that you love to have dinner with former SS. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, you just you can enjoy their jokes and stuff, but you can't enjoy that they were SS. Nor can you in, like enjoy the dinner because they're German and they, you know, like <laughs> their food is terrible. So, so you can't, I didn't know they were yeah. I didn't know they were cooking. So like if it were at a Turkish restaurant though, you'd be okay with it. Yeah, or like an Italian yeah. restaurant, Japanese <laughs> restaurant. You know, they're like we it can be like one of the Axis members. I don't know, yeah. man. Mussolini, fettuccine, like a- <laughs> Right. Like but I that's the point is it's good food. Like it can they can't be both murderous fascists and their food is bad. <laughs> <laughs> in Mussolini's Italy, at least the spaghetti was al dente. <laughs> exactly. You didn't just get a bunch of like bratwurst and like mustard. Anyway, so today we're going to talk in the second segment about Borges' uh, great story that we've been wanting to do, meaning to do for a while. Funes the Memorius, or as in our translation, Funes his memory. Yeah, one of, I think, three big disagreements I have with the translation. <laughs> what is the memorius? You can't just change it like that, but yes. I, I, yeah, I read his uh, like justification. Well, we, maybe we could save this for the, yeah. for the yeah, second yeah. segment. In the first segment, well, number one, we picked another fucking article <laughs> that we can't talk about now, but this time we didn't record a whole episode on it, but... <laughs> It turns out the guy is just a race scientist and or at least is very and, inspired by race science and like and so yeah, yeah. I would put I I would uh I, I bet you he has a thin blue line sticker on his uh on his notebook. <laughs> at the very least, yeah. I like sometimes those people go beyond they get to the point where they hate the police because they Oh yeah, that's know, right. Uh and especially the feds. But anyway, and, this one was our fault for not having read like at past a certain point to yeah. see where they were like, where? and as, as race science shows us. <laughs> it was very much on the topic of something we would talk about in an opening segment. But, <laughs> right. I mean, like one day, like we'll be able to pick an article and then just actually record it and then publish that recording, you know? One day. One day. One day. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we thought given that it's our 10th anniversary, we could. Uh, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. 10 years. Is it? As of recording, yesterday, August 30th, was the 10th anniversary of when we released our very first episode. But not, Tamler, the anniversary of when we recorded the first episode that went unreleased, which appears to be about a year before that. Yeah. I I dug up some old audio files of us calling ourselves bad wizards. Not even very bad wizards. Bad wizards. Yeah, and I sent them to you, and you listened a little bit to it. But we were like even like more serious. We were like using more more formal terms. We were taking it, it, it seriously. Was a weird. Yeah, we like we knew we were going to be lighthearted, but but we we still I think there's some pretense that we would be a, a bit more academic. It would be educational in some way, <laughs> It'd be edifying or enriching the the minds <laughs> of our right. listeners. Yeah, 
It, it's funny because I associate early episodes more with us being more over the top the other way, like dog well, fucking ones, and yeah. I agree with you that once we started, yeah, um, there was just some awkwardness. I think about the very first yeah. attempts at recording because we barely um, knew each other. Number one, and yeah. um, so that's gonna obviously. Leave. I saw at the end of one of the uh, snippets because I was like, "Why is this called part one when yeah. it's so short?" And it's actually a snippet because uh, at the very end you go something like, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, I think that the audio is a little loud. And, <laughs> and I was like, he's never been that polite ever since. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, <you're> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I think that we should check. <laughs> yeah. I can't even picture myself saying that. Nor can I remember any like discussion of like bad wizards. Should we go to very bad wizards? Like, like I have no I, memory of that even being uh, like a debate or an idea or anything. I have a vague recollection that, that we were trying to find uh, a name for our podcast before just settling on the inspiration of your book. It's, but apparently somewhere Either in between way, that first step, like yeah. we went to bad wizards for a bit. Yeah. Uh, that's really good. Like also VBW. I like the way that sounds. BW. Yeah. That doesn't. <laughs> it sounds like bowel movement, but with the M upside down. Yeah. Um, or Brazilian <laughs> bikini. So, so we're going to be navel gazy, which is to say we're going to just make some, uh, I, I guess, some observations about our, our, <laughs> our task. But this was inspired by what, by a tweet that said, how would you describe the podcast now as opposed to? to 10 years ago. how it was when we started. Yeah, 10 years ago. You know, it's funny in that uh, earlier clip, and maybe we'll play it, like I describe what the podcast is, which is, you know, an, uh, issues in philosophy and psychology um, and ethics, and especially in relation to the emotions. Like I got pretty specific, yeah. right? It's going to be about topics like that. And, but, you know, we'll talk about them in a way that is much more informal than you would normally expect hear a discussion about these things um and uh i think we did although it was very informal and we were always dirt filthy and we hadn't entered this uh um well i've never taken like the whole woke cancel culture blah 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 seriously things have gotten a little bit more uh, <laughs> the expectations for better and for yeah. worse have have become higher and we were not living yet in that era so you could probably find the, some things if you really want to try, try to cancel us. You, there's probably some stuff in the first 30 don't. or 40 episodes. Like, you know, <laughs> I have had it. I was listening to, uh, before we were recording, I was going through a few episodes here and there. And one of our early episodes, we start reading an email that we got from a graduate student. And we're saying that this is unlike another email that we had just gotten, which had been essentially uh, complaining the whole time about our prison rape jokes and that uh, somebody had decided to stop listening to us because we had made prison. So, and that was like in the single digit episodes. Yeah, um, I remember so. that. It was my, but I remember actually even the context of it. It wasn't like a joke about prison rape. It's It was the only good thing about getting older. I think it was like after my birthday or something. Oh yeah, that's right. So, or <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but like right, is right, right. that I become every year a less a, attractive less attractive. <laughs> like candidate. You know, if I end up going to uh, right, it wasn't you know, like we I, were get, up there I get not performing. thinking that's funny to joke about, but also yeah. you know, like I I really do believe that has been like a, a small <laughs> consolation about getting older. <laughs> but that was all just to say that there there were people 
not looking to cancel us, but just canceling their subscription to us. <laughs> yeah, right. They hadn't yet discovered canceling. <laughs> uh, right. the, the woke mob, the woke stopo. Uh, yeah, we were barely on Twitter, you know. Like yeah. We had, uh, I mean, but, you we, know, like the repugnant uh, one-star review came from episode six where we were joking about, like, pushing a pregnant woman off a bridge. Oh, yeah. And, and, like, again, the context was, like, they keep having to try to make it worse, you know, like, what the, like, what it is that you would have to do. Um, But um, the one-star repugnant review was about episode six. So, like, yeah, I think we were, we had established our bona fides on that front. And I think, although, uh, like, a greater majority of the episodes were about, like classic moral psychology topics, like a much yeah. higher percentage of them were about right. that. Well, and as like as we've said many times, when we first started, like the goal, at least for me, was six episodes because mm-hmm. I thought that's that was going to be the the number of topics that we could that we could really discuss. And it just had like in in that sense, it has to change because we can't mm-hmm. like we we just had to keep broadening um, topics. But there's one way in which it really hasn't changed is you listen early on, even like our the pilotiest of our pilot episodes, we had movie quotes in yeah. them and movies were always going to kind of play a role in, yeah. you know, even if we weren't going to directly discuss a movie, they were going to, they were going to be serve their illustrative purpose um, <clears throat> to even as we've expanded and talk more about art, like film and books and tv shows it's never not to me been about uh philosophy and psychology like it's in in my head it's still always like that and so even if it's remember we had a discussion way back when about well is this movie even about anything psychology like yeah it's like vertigo or something yeah and i was like i I I mean yeah it's just the way i think about it it's gonna be yeah right you were like i no i remember you said something like I didn't even think that we required that anymore. Like you've yeah. won. You're like you've won. Like that's what pisses me off. Is like now I'll agree to do a movie without even like you know like it being clear what right the, uh, <laughs> right yeah. what the tie-in yeah, is. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, really, like some... the joke was early on. I really just wanted to do a movie podcast. Yeah, uh, with who? Uh, uh, well, originally my idea was we would it would just be top three movies or, or top five movies on a topic which and we've done those kinds of episodes not in a long time because, yeah but you had another friend you were gonna do that with yeah it was, was josh it? weisberg uh former uh, friend of the show um <laughs> former friend of the show for, yeah we're we're like <laughs> as a show not friends with him anymore this is, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean right. the unforgiven episode was episode 11 so it's not like we weren't like agreeing to do that it's just that they came every like 10 or 15 episodes at first yeah. at most. And I don't think literature was not something we did. Like, was the first piece of literature the Borges's Babylon? Is that even possible? That's a very possible? good question. That's a very good question. I that think it I don't might have know. been, though. Like, that's a definite change. I also don't know when we we landed at the format of opening question, intro segment, Break music, second segment. Yeah. I'm, I haven't actually done the work to go see. No. Um, <laughs> We're so unprepared for this. It's got to be so boring. But I, but I will say that I do think the thing that has been constant is we do episodes on what we want to do episodes on. And yeah. I think 
um, as the sh- podcast has evolved, we want to do episodes on short stories and uh, movies and books and um, and, and yeah. a, a more because I think, you know, look, I was thinking about this on my bike ride home. 2012 is an interesting time in our fields, right? For me, yeah. I, I would say like experimental philosophy is kind of in its heyday around that time. Um, moral psychology, social psychology. This is before like all of the rep- replication crisis. At least data, everybody knows that, right. that something's up, right? Even right. like the election, it's like Obama, it's right before Obama's second uh, or his reelection. I have my infamous episode eight where I was like, <laughs> look, it's great. Like he got reelected. You know, I, I think uh, Republicans are going to be done with like race baiting as a <laughs> electoral strategy. Um, you know, like we've moved past that as a country. And, and it's like in both cases, I think like there was a kind of complacency and overconfidence from people who, you know, had it pretty good within those uh, like all of the fields, you know, and yeah. we didn't see a lot of the kind of fundamental problems that were lurking like either politically or in, in, in psychological method. And um, I think it's a little less clear with philosophy uh, that things have changed that m- much, but not because... You're right. There hasn't been a, like a big a crisis. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, it's funny because we have an early uh, couple of episodes uh, called the, the Burning burning bridges yeah. episodes where we dared criticize our own fields. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we were always on the more skeptical side of our own fields. Um, and like, I was probably skeptical of some psychology things, not enough. Um, yeah. But you were always just so in love with philosophy that, you know, yeah. you couldn't yeah. be critical. I, you can't, you can't be <laughs> mad at philosophy. Yeah. My attitude toward philosophy, I guess. I think as I've gotten exposed to to more, this sounds so bad, but like more just run of the mill. Like, you know, when you're somebody like me who has a side interest in philosophy, you read a lot of the great papers. You don't read like, you know, whatever sideways pump, music paper, <laughs> yeah, paper someone had to pump out uh, yeah, right. to get tenure. Uh, so, so that's why. Yeah. As I've learned more, I've come to be a little bit more lukewarm to some kinds of philosophy. You know, I always kept kind of analytic methods in philosophy at a kind of arm's length. I often found like conceptual analysis and the methods associated with it to be obviously kind of worthless or lacking in some fields. But I, I don't think I applied it enough to stuff that I was doing at the time and certainly hadn't arrived at uh, at least in a way that I could articulate at a kind of Wittgensteinian position on uh, a lot of the oh, main uh, philosophical. What's yeah, yeah? <laughs> because I didn't know, like I didn't know that Wittgenstein. Like I didn't read philosophical investigations, um, and so I had no idea that all these. And that there's a whole school, a totally neglected and ignored school of, of philosophers who <laughs> who believe that essentially what I believe, although they they act differently than I do about it, but. Um, <laughs> their goal is to like we gotta change it we gotta convince all these like philosophers that <laughs> that they're doing it wrong it's just like no you don't though because it's not that won't happen <laughs> it just has to die out but there's a couple things that i thought i wanted to cover one was the the question that we often get as to what uh your favorite episode is 
Um, and maybe relatedly mm. what episode people should start with. Like I recently got this and have you landed at an answer to these? I think forced, cause I do get the question a good amount. Ecclesiastes is always one and it has the opening segment. I think about compersion. So I think that gives a good kind of, uh, I don't know, like a summary of who we are and what this is about. And Ecclesiastes, I remember being one of my favorite <laughs> discussions. Similarly, yeah. um, uh, the Nagel episode on the absurd, which yeah, I always, I always like as, as yeah. my, one of my favorite discussions, that I forgot until I was looking the other day that that has the opening segment about the, the paper the with the holes. <laughs> Which yeah. is the very bad wizardsiest of very bad wizards, I think. There's two uh, opening segments with holes that are very bad wizards. It's the tongue. It's, right. It's the it's one the where the tongue, tongue. Or, or your toe or whatever to gauge yeah. the size of holes. Yeah. Yes. Not the one yeah. where what is a hole, you know. Like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. But both this of those the... in their own way are quintessential <laughs> opening segments. Yeah. Yeah, and so given that I often turn to the absurd and the Ecclesiastes episodes, it sort of <laughs> is an answer to the question we got on Twitter, which is like, you just an existentialist podcast at this point. And I think I always want what, like I always wanted to be, it just took us a while to figure out that that's like something that we could be or, or enjoyed yeah. talking about, you know, like the big... Yeah. Although, like, two of our first 10 episodes are kind of on those themes, right? The meaning of life one in episode three. I mean, that's also about relative uh, values and, and things like that. And then episode 10 is just explicitly about it. It's like God and the meaning of life. And, like, I think we always had this in us. But, again, like, we just took it to a different level when we started to do Nate when we did Nagel's the absurd and then you know doing Dostoevsky and we yeah we both just love, love that shit here's one thing I will say that's a big difference even though it took a lot of time to do it then I feel like a bigger part of my like mental life is devoted to the podcast now mm. yeah because the thought that that the podcast would be even close to in the running for like a central aspect of my life right. was so foreign to me early on. Like yeah. it, it's, it's kind of cool. Like I actually was talking to somebody who, who is a former grad student of ours and he was, he, he, he wrote a letter for my full promotion packet because <clears throat> they asked former students. He was saying that, uh, that like he was talking to one of the professors here who was on the committee, like his former advisor about my case and that they made a, like they were actually made a big deal about the podcast, like yeah. in my, in my promotion. Um, like yeah, that's was, changed. Yeah. Like 2011 and 12, when we were working on this, like we're both newly minted associate professors, which means we have tenure, but we're not full professors yet. And you have yeah. to do some actual like academic work to get promoted to full right. professor which we now both are, and podcasts were different. Like, you, yeah. you would talk to people and you would say, I'm doing this podcast, and they would either kind of look at you like Sean Nichols and be like, <laughs> okay, right. Uh, <laughs> or, or they just wouldn't know what a podcast was, and you would right. have to, like, explain that to them. And then it went through this boom where now if you tell somebody you're doing a podcast, we're like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Like, how'd you get that idea? You know? <laughs> Where was the sweet spot? Yeah. Where's the sweet spot? 
<laughs> but like like you, I had like my dean, the dean in his letter recommending me for promotion, like brought up the podcast as it's like a real positive. And yeah. so if we haven't changed that much, the world has changed to make this respectable, kind of, also kind of a cliche already. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, like <laughs> tedious, but like also respectable. You know, we went we went from not cool to not cool for two different reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's so that's been nice. It's allowed us to do. I mean, one, we have jobs that are flexible, so we can do this. But it's allowed me to do more things that I actually enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah, than Great. I would have otherwise a greater percentage of my time doing things that I right. really love doing. Because as any teacher knows, the best way to understand something and learn it is to teach it. And yeah. we're not teachers on the podcast, but it's the same kind of idea where you have to read something closely and yeah. talk about it, you know, and you're not yeah. just reading it by yourself and thinking yeah. about it by yourself. Right. Reading something with the intention to communicate that thing mm -hmm. is a very different kind of, of uh, reading or watching or whatever. And I will say, you know, there, there was somebody, I think maybe it was on Patreon. Somebody was saying like, how do you guys do? It seems like a lot um, when it comes to, like doing the Deadwood stuff and, and doing the, the podcast and the AUAs. How do you and see all the movies? Jobs. And, yeah, 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 that's right. Time to watch all this stuff. And it's like, I, you know, it's obviously Adderall. like, obviously my kids suffer, you know, my, like my daughter just doesn't see me. <laughs> yeah, we, we sacrifice fucking everything, you know, and yeah. we just get like jacked up on uh, like, remember you went through a big like Coke phase uh, for the first time. I miss am I, that. Am I over that? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I, but you know, as lazy as I feel, like I feel, I guess I, I do work a lot, um, yeah. when, you know, so. I don't know if I work like a lot, but I think I consider myself lazy a lot of the time because I'm doing stuff like this, you know, yeah. which I still, for whatever reason, don't consider work, even though now right. we make a bit of, of money doing it. And um, yeah, and actually yeah. people give a shit about it. They don't give a shit as much as if we like <laughs> publish an article that like 19 people read um, in some <laughs> journal. But still, uh, they right. they appreciate it, right. and they don't make fun of us for it anymore. Uh, well, not to our faces. Not to our not faces. Yes, yeah. uh, except uh, unless except for Sean Nichols, <laughs> he's still <laughs> he'll Sean go Nichols. to his grave just being like, "It's a stupid <laughs> fucking idea," and no one wants to listen to that. Okay, I have one last question for you, okay. which is: Okay, we've done it for ten years. We we have no plan to stop. If anybody's what, or at least I have no plan to stop. Do you have a dream guest for this podcast, not just someone you want to like. Not that, not that chick that you mentioned at the beginning. Sydney be Sweeney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like for the podcast. Yeah. By the way, my daughter not like whenever I talk about Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> even I wonder why. <laughs> so, dream guest. You know. Oh well. David Lynch, I would love to have as <laughs> yeah. a guest. Like, that would be pretty awesome. You know, as as we found, sometimes, like, the dream person isn't necessarily yeah. the best guest. Um, but I feel like David Lynch could be a, a good guest for us. Uh, let me think about it more. Do you have some? Um, 
Sam Harris to come talk about 2001 Space, Space Odyssey. Odyssey. <laughs> we may get that wish. Like, We're I working on it. Manifesting it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because I asked you the question having not thought about it at all, really. Like, as you say, the guests, it, some we might love somebody and they might be a terrible guest. So it's really hard to know. Um, David I, Milch, know, I think, would have been uh, like, a, I don't know unbelievably yeah. great guest but like we would have had to do it earlier in the podcast yeah. history unfortunately yeah i would have loved norm uh, you know i oh uh, sh- god that's yeah. the best one yes 100 yeah. percent. like that's like there's not not a close second to norm uh, uh Chappelle I mean, would be a now, second but. i don't know how you can't be that yeah but Chappelle would be a second <laughs> Substack time <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh jk rowling no just kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kathleen stock <laughs> uh, james Lindsay. really i want to get him back, yeah, we'll get him back. see what's changed I, I don't know what, like if, if, if anything's changed in his life yeah. good to see you again how's how are things <laughs> In my defense, like you said, who's your dream guest? And he has yeah. sadly passed, but he right. would have been like yeah. the ideal get- VBW guest. He would have if we could convince him patience. to take it us seriously, you know, yeah, like, he would have a bit little patience for yeah. us. You know, I think Bill Burr would be a fun guest if we're going to do comedians. For you, <laughs> we talk about Boston <laughs> sports. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everyone would love that. I wear my Yankees hat. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. That was great great segment. <laughs> great so th- thanks for the memories. It has I've, been kind of uh awesome. Yeah. I'm a little bit sentimental about it. I'm uh, yeah. and I'm proud. I'm proud. Ten years. Ten years. Different Ooh. like stages of life. Both our daughters are going to college. Crazy. My daughter, like when we started, was young enough where it was cute that she would do that opening disclaimer. You know? Are we gonna keep it? Yeah, right. Yeah. You said well, you didn't like the idea of losing it. I don't, but I said ultimately it was her decision. Because you know, I could see. Oh, uh, she doesn't care. Okay. Yeah. Not that, not that you've asked. <laughs> Wait, can we get that Sweeney chick to do, <laughs> to do the opening? <laughs> do drugs and then we'll record just some openings. <laughs> I'm hang out with uh, those two. <laughs> All right. uh, we'll be right back to talk about Funes. The Memorias, or His Memory. Today's episode is brought to you once again by Super Speciosa. You know, sometimes you have one of those days. You come home, all you want to do is relax, have a drink, and maybe read or watch something. For me, that's most days, or maybe all days. And a lot of those days involve Kratom. Kratom, for me anyway, gives a very nice buzz. Shoulders go down a little. I feel a little chattier, you know, I can get a little chatty on Kratom, which I think is a mixed blessing for my family. They might say that's putting it generously. What is Kratom, you ask? Kratom is an all-natural, ancient super leaf related to a coffee plant that has been used in Thailand for centuries. It helps energize your mind and relax your body. And Super Speciosa has only one ingredient, pure kratom leaf. That's it. Just pure kratom leaf. No, like, high fructose corn syrup or, like, some kind of protein powder. Just kratom leaf. 
All of Super Speciosa's batches come with certified lab reports so you know exactly what you're getting. And, you know, like how often you, you get your kratom from somewhere and you're like, where's the lab report? I want to inspect the lab report. And there just isn't one. Well, that's not going to be the case with Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa offers kratom powder, capsules, tablets, and teas. Try the tea. That was kind of a revelation for David and me. And, of course, capsules are the easiest. Powder might be the biggest bang for your buck, but you got to figure out how to do it. Wash and toss, you know, try that. Who knows? Uh, for beginners, definitely recommend the capsules or teas because they're the easiest to use. And Super Speciosa offers 100% satisfaction or your money back guaranteed. So try Kratom now and get 20% off if you're a VBW listener. Go to Get Superleaf dot com slash vbw and get 20 percent off with promo code vbw that's get superleaf.com slash vbw and use promo code vbw for 20 percent off thanks to super speciosa for sponsoring this episode Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the show where we uh, love to reach out to you and thank you for being part of our community, for getting in touch with us, and just for, I don't know, keeping us going, keeping us motivated for 10 years. 10 um, years. 10 years. If you'd like to get a hold of us, ask us questions, give us criticisms, give us compliments, you can email us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. As we always say, we read them all. We don't have time to respond to them all. I've gotten uh, can, some really nice ones recently, as you yeah, know. absolutely, and some weird ones. But we'll, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you can tweet to us <laughs> at peas at Tamler at Very Bad Wizards. You can <clears throat> join our lively community at reddit.com slash r slash Very Bad Wizards, where you can talk to other listeners of the show, complain directly to each other. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. You never you, go there anymore, right? I, I've been social media light lately. That's good. Yeah, um, what's your made, secret? It's made me happier. <laughs> really, I just... Pornhub. I, you know, I spend most mm -hmm. of my time. <laughs> um, you got one of the pre premium subscriptions? <laughs> what do you get with those? <laughs> um, at 3,000 patrons. I'll Maybe like, can we get a sponsor? <laughs> you know? Oh, God. You can follow us on Instagram. You can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating. Um, and if you really have the time and the motivation, leave us a review. We really, really appreciate those. 
um, you can finally you can listen and subscribe to us on Spotify. And uh, I don't know that you can leave reviews on Spotify, can you? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, so they have some that. other like master some other plan. Thing. They yeah. just they just look directly into your brain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and if you'd like to, to support us in more tangible ways, there are a bunch of different ways to do that. We, uh, you know, on our 10th anniversary, let's take a moment to thank everybody who has contributed something, both just in interaction, but also in actual money, because uh, it does really motivate us in a different way. And it is just, I don't know, I'm very grateful for all the generosity that people have shown to us over the years. You can find all of these different ways on the support page. You can buy some merch. We got to get update our merch. I mean, come on. It's been 10 years. It's I'm been waiting a long, for it's your... been a few years. <laughs> oh, yeah. For my daughter's friend. I don't yeah. know if that's going to happen. <laughs> and um, you can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal, and you can join our Patreon and we've recently had a nice nice uptick in Patreon supporters, I think motivated in part by this new Deadwood series that we are dropping. Um, at, at this point, at this stage now, every two weeks on off Tuesdays, um, yeah. it's a little hard to keep up, you know, with doing both of these, as you can tell, like from the preparation from our opening segment, like <laughs> we're stretched a little thin right now with all of this stuff. But, um, so for now, at least, uh, you'll, you'll get one of those every two weeks, each devoted to a full episode of Deadwood. Um, this is at the $2 level. At the $1, just $1 per episode, you get all the volumes of Dave's Beats, and uh, you get ad-free episodes most of the time. They're ad-free, I should say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there was a snafu, uh, but I, I fixed it. Off, often ad-free episodes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and also at $2 and up, you get all our bonus episodes, our whole library. We've done a lot of them right now. Like, I can't. Uh, I don't, I don't know how many, but, uh, but a lot of them and at $5 and up, you'll get to vote on an episode topic. This is coming right up. Like tomorrow I'm posting that, um, uh, call for episode topics and you will get to vote on, uh, from a list of five finalists that Dave and I select. And you will also get access to our Brothers Karamazov series. Also something that we really enjoyed and are proud of. Uh, you get also all of Dave's intro to psychology lectures. Wow, $5 tier, you get a lot of shit. You <laughs> do. And uh, at $10 and up, this is our highest tier, you get to ask us questions. Another thing that's going up tomorrow, um, our call for questions for a monthly Ask Us Anything video that we have really enjoyed doing. They're, they tend to be long and rambly, but... They are a lot of fun to do, and um, you get to ask the questions. We also release an audio version of that for all $2 and up patrons. So thank you so much again. So I appreciate it so much. So grateful for um, all the support over all these years. It's, uh, it's, it, it's a nice, the proudest thing. I think we've said this probably a thousand times, but the community that, of people that we've built and interacted with over the years and who've supported us. It's, uh, it warms the cockles of our hearts. If anyone has been listening from like since the earliest episodes mm -hmm. and is still listening, I'm kind of curious to hear from them. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, I, like a I know Dagsaurus. People, <laughs> yeah. I know people come and go because I do that with every podcast that I listen to. Definitely. But if anybody's sort of been there, I mean, I don't know if anybody could have been there from the day that we released our first episode because who the fuck knew who we were? But well, also, there are these psychos that just binge, binge like 240 yeah. episodes in like two weeks or something like that. How do they not just get immediately institutionalized? You know, <laughs> there should be like Overcast should have like some signal that they send to people. <laughs> <laughs> like an algorithmic sort of like early warning indicator of uh, self-harm. Exactly. <laughs> self-harm or or likely harm of others <laughs> as well. Uh, yes. Thank you. All right. Let's get to the episode. <clears throat> I think I have COVID, dude. <clears throat> oh, God. <clears throat> Fucking Actually, the, your cough is something that's probably gotten better over there. Yeah, it has actually, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> the worst days were the vape days. <laughs> yeah. It's the constant yeah. cough. It's just watching you kill yourself. <laughs> As you take a sip of your bourbon. <laughs> All right, Tamler, today we're talking about, uh, well, one of my favorite things to talk about, a Borges short story. This time it is Funes the Memorious, uh, Funes his memory, as is in our translation by Andrew Hurley. And only our translation. And only our translation. And he has like an explanation for why. In Spanish, it's Funes el Memorioso, which is just one word that means like a person who has a very good memory. Um, And um, yeah, this was published in 1942 originally, but then it made its way in 1944 to the Ficciones Anthology uh, Part 2. And it's, it's actually pretty short. Um, so here, as as with many of these stories, um, it, there is some fictional version of Borges, um, who is the narrator, and he tells the story of a man that he met three times in his life, a guy named Ireneo Funes, who um, basically after falling off of his horse, gets a, a head injury, and develops this I'd even hesitate to call it an ability. It's, it's more like a disability, I guess, of remembering absolutely everything. And we'll get to what we mean when we say everything, because like it's everything, including things that you didn't think were, would be the proper objects of memory. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so he acquires this in- incredible talent. Um, broad strokes, that's the story. Um, There's no real... Plot yeah, to the there's story. there's no real plot other than that Borges, the 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 narrator of the story, um, is from Buenos Aires, the capital city of Argentina, and he goes to this little town in Uruguay, um, where I guess he he summers, um, with his father, and there is when he first meets Funes as a teenager before the accident, and he has an initial encounter that's kind of weird and kind of interesting, which we can talk about, mm-hmm. um. And it's not until a few years later that he goes back to that same town on his own that he hears that about the accident that happened that left that left Funes uh, appears to be a quadriplegic or maybe paraplegic, um, and he just spends all of his days in his room. But he has developed this very uncanny uh, ability to remember every single thing that's happened. So on that second visit, um, he first talks to Funes after this this accident 
lends him a couple of books. He says that he wants to learn Latin. So he lends him a couple of his Latin books, thinking that he won't learn them, and then ends up having to come back to pick up his Latin books. And there he has sort of a full conversation with Funes. And he learns more about what precisely is going on in the mind of, of young Funes, who's at this point like 19 years old. Right. And then you hear that he dies at... Uh, I guess 21 or something. Yeah, two years right. later from congestion of the lungs, which is what I feel like I'm dying from. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, no. <laughs> David has, yeah, he might have COVID. <laughs> Knock on I will be the only COVID virgin of the Very Bad Wizards podcast, uh, uh, possibly. Yeah, so this story is, if I compare it to a story that we've done before, I would say it is the uh, Library of Babel. In, in a couple of ways. I think it's both about how when you have something that initially appears good, if you have it too much or an infinite amount of it, it becomes disabling. It becomes, uh, all of a sudden, its value is annihilated. Um, right. Uh, in both cases, from the library where you have every possible book, but there's no order to it so um it's like it's it's almost like having no books with his perfect memory it as the narrator says he has trouble thinking now because he's lost the ability to uh, uh provide order to his vast infinite memory the lack of the ability to catalog these things is ultimately crippling and i'd say the other way that i think it's like it is there's a kind of moroseness to it. I remember that from the Library of Babel where everyone is just it's, it, this kind of morose obsessiveness that uh, pervades the character and, the, and, and just the tone of the story. And in both cases, there's not really much of a story. And it is about people who are, you know, they're too far, they're in too deep to rescue themselves, but at the, but they're not, they're, they're past the point of being excited or enjoying this infinite uh gift that they've been given yeah it's un that's it's a good point and it's unclear whether funes is enjoying um at least some of this we know that he can't sleep but it doesn't i don't get the sense that he has views himself as a tragic figure he he views this as like I was once asleep and now I see, you know, and now I am awake. Yeah. Um, the analogy there to the <clears throat> Library of Babel is is a good one in that um, less is more. Like too much, too much dilutes truth. Funes has lost, I think, in some deep way access to to the kind of truth that is important because he's so consumed by the kind of truths that are trivial. Everything is a detail to him, and nothing is an abstraction. Yeah, and we might have a different read on that aspect of it, because I might say that he is maybe closer to the truth in some sense, but a truth yeah. that is useless um, right. to him. And in order, like, like that with creating order and the ability to think things through, there needs to be a kind of falsification or a kind of um, a neglecting or overlook. But like, I don't know, like I, I was actually more referring though to like just the mood and the tone of it. Because while I agree that with you that he has pride about his 
and and may even think like, oh, this is the real shit that I'm on right now and the life I was living before was a stupid dream. There's no joy or a sense of excitement to, I don't know, at least that I read. It seemed like something that was a burden to him. He has the curtains like in, like there's no light in his room. It seems just like this compulsion, this obsessiveness that doesn't seem to bring him happiness. I got the darkness from the narrator. Um, mm. I, I think we don't, we don't really get too much from Funes, like, but it sounds like he's very content to have to be in the darkness. Um, but we can talk about that. And what yeah, you said I, before, I, 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 like what you said before, you just rephrased what I said. Like I didn't, I said that, that he has the truth, truth about details, not truth about the abstract things that, that matter. Oh, but see, that's where we might disagree. So I didn't rephrase it. Uh, I, I think that we have to impose falsehoods or subjectivity on reality in order to oh, yeah. be able to make sense of it. Whereas you think we're closer to the truth or at least accessing different kinds of truths than, than he is. But I take a more anti-realist kind of approach to this story as a thought experiment. Oh, See, well, we're going to have to flush it out because from what you said at the beginning, I thought you were taking a realist approach to like him having access to like truer things. Well, he has more perfect information, more accurate information right. than we do. But that's not truth. Well, you know, we've never like done an episode on truth and what that means. You said that what? he has, but you said that he has access to, to truth. I mean, I do think he has access to truth in a certain way, in the same way that, like, you know, in those Black Mirror episodes or, like, the Ted Chang story where they start preserving your past in videotape form or audio form, that it's the, the those things are closer to the truth than... I mean, I don't know, maybe you're a pragmatist about truth. No, uh, it's more uh, of a pragmatist. The, those things are more accurate than how the people remember them, especially when. Yeah, know. that's what I'm trying to hold you to be saying that that he has access to some things that are truer. Whereas yeah. I was saying that I that his, the truth that he has about is truth about details. What he fails to have is truth ab about that you can acquire when you reason about those details. Like he can't make inferences about the things that he notices. Right. So then I think this is probably, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but this might be the, like a, a debate between a nominalist and a <laughs> like universalist or something. You know, like I think I have nominalist leanings on this front in which when we start to universalize and systematize, we are um, doing that to be useful, but we're not adding to the truth. Okay, well, maybe the details about what he seems to remember um, will matter for the... Um, but there are some details about, like, that I think are a little unclear exactly what he, what is going on. You know, there's a line with the dog, like, it irritated him that the dog at that he saw at 315 is the same dog as, uh, you know, the one he saw from a different angle, like, two seconds later. It's like, well, what does that mean that that irritated him? Is he denying that they are the same dog? Like, what does he think, a do like, a dog is or the same dog would even mean? Well, that's a great, I mean, that's a great example of, I think, his, his he's, a, uh, he's a true Parfidian about the identity of the dog. He's saying... 
there is nothing meaningful um, in saying that dog at 315 is the same as dog at, at 420 or whatever, right? Okay, so we start out, uh, again, uh, like I said, by this first introduction where Borges is uh, driving into a town, um, this little town in Uruguay, uh, which is right next to Argentina, um, have and, you guys like conquered it or something? Is this like somebody no. going to a colonial <laughs> there is a offshoot? Joke. There is a joke that, you know, Argentina is a much, much bigger country, both in terms of yeah. uh, physical size and population. And so so they tend to look down on Uruguayans just as a, yeah. as a kind of a general sort of joke that that they say things like Uruguay is, right. is one of our one of our provinces. Like the French do with the Belgians. <laughs> they like they're they're Polacks, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not yeah. so bad. Uh, there's, as far as I know, it's not that they're stupid. It's that they're my, maybe a little country, but um, yeah. they're okay. definitely an also ran, you know. So how you look at me, right? <laughs> <In> Texas? <laughs> maybe. So one of the things that his very first introduction when he, when Borges is riding in with his friend, you know, he describes this like he's riding in a horse and they're sort of trying to escape. They're trying to run faster than the storm that is coming. And so they go into this little street that has these high sidewalks on either side of it. And they see a little boy or a kid running right alongside them. Uh, I heard quick, almost secret footsteps above me. I raised my eyes and saw a boy running along the narrow, broken sidewalk high above. Um Borges's cousin, which I t- is from this town, this little town, um, shouts out to that kid, what time is it, Ireneo? And the boy, without pausing, says, four minutes till late, young Bernardo Juan Francisco. So he uses all three names um, of him. And he knew the time just perfectly uh, without having to, right. to check. He also says his voice was shrill, shrill and mocking. No, I think that's important. Like, this is why I sort of asked about did Arge- you know, Argentinian attitudes is I think this is a very prideful young man who doesn't like like big city yeah. kids coming yeah, yeah. into his town and so wants to show that he's not impressed by them. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're right because there is a part where he says like, he never called me those words like city, like, like big city guy, yeah. but everybody thought that of him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but this is before his accident. So he clearly has some dormant potential of some <laughs> kind, right? That he yeah. can just know the time, but it's not totally clear what that power is or how you would get that, like what it, what it points to. Yeah. And I wasn't sure whether Borges was using this as sort of a contrast, like this, this, um, extreme focus on time versus, uh, or it was foreshadowing. I, like, I don't, I don't quite know what we're meant to think of of this ability that he had uh, before the accident. You know, we do hear that he was already, uh, uh, he was eccentric and he was, uh, he, sh- he shied away from people. Yeah. And, and maybe Borges is trying to present to us like a, a kind of uh, autistic savant, maybe, maybe yeah. somebody who's on the spectrum already. I also don't know what to make again early on in the first paragraph uh, where he's, where Borges says the name of a person, Pedro Leandro Ipuche, has written that Funes was a precursor of the race of supermen, a maverick and vernacular Zarathustra. And I will not argue the point, uh, but one must also not forget that he was a street tough from Fray Bentos with certain incorrigible limitations. So I did come across like Nietzschean influences yeah. on Borges, and I think... Hmm. I don't know if this was a tribute to him 
But there is this Nietzsche quote, quote, imagine the most extreme example, a human being who does not possess the power to forget, who is damned to see becoming everywhere. Such a human being would no longer believe in his own being, would no longer believe in himself, would see everything flow apart in turbulent particles and would lose himself in this stream of becoming. Like the true student of Heraclitus, he, <laughs> in the end, he would hardly even dare to uh, lift a finger. All action requires forgetting, just as the existence of all organic things requires not only light, but darkness as well. So I think it's it might just be a kind of that's a Nietzsche. To Nietzsche. That's, that's a Nietzsche, Nietzsche saying. Oh yeah, wow, that's, that's great. Yeah. Where is that? Where does he say that? This is shit. Is it in Thus Spoke Zarathustra or I? Th- I don't think so. I think it's in in something else. Right. I got it from this article, which we should post uh, okay. about Nietzsche, Borges, and Nietzsche's um, kind of the, right. the connection. It's called that's Borges clearly forget- like that's that. Ha- I mean, that has to be a direct reference. To yeah, that Clancy Martin. There's a lot of quotes that philosophers. William James has one. Um, did you come hmm. across this? Mm-mm. He uh, William James said, "If we remembered everything, we should on most occasions be as ill off as if we remembered nothing." Hmm. The paradoxical result is that one condition of remembering is that we should forget. Without forgetting a prodigious number of states of consciousness and momentarily forgetting a large number, we could not remember at all. Yeah. So, like, that's very much this story. Yeah. Super interesting. Today's episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by 80,000 Hours. 80,000 Hours is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping you make a bigger difference in your career, a bigger difference in the world in your career. And the number comes simply from the number of hours that the average person has across their career, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year for 40 years. That's a lot of time. And it means that your career is probably your biggest shot at making a positive impact in the world. But it can be really overwhelming to know what to do and how to even start going about having a positive impact in the world. And that's where 80,000 Hours comes in. At their site, you can find advice that's based on evidence and careful research that comes from an impartial perspective that can help you shape your career in the way that you want. They're dedicated to providing free research and support to help you find that kind of career that can help you tackle some of the world's most pressing problems. Whether you're starting out with your career and you're not sure what to do, or you're looking to make a change uh, in your direction mid-career, or even if you just want to help solve pressing global problems from your current job, 80,000 Hours hosts a job board with nearly 1,000 currently open high-impact career opportunities. Or if you have some ideas already, they offer free one-on-one advice consultation to help you switch paths. They have a free podcast and a newsletter that contain tons of expert advice and in-depth information uh, for you as well. I want to emphasize again, 80,000 Hours is a nonprofit and everything they provide is completely free and it always will be. They're fully philanthropically funded and their only goal is to help you find a fulfilling, high-impact career. To get started planning a career that works on one of the world's most pressing problems, sign up now at 80,000hours.org slash wizards. That's 80,000hours.org slash wizards. Our thanks to 80,000 Hours for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. So he goes back, right? This is years later after the accident. And he hears uh, that he had been, that, that Funes had been 
bucked off of a horse. You know, I don't know. It's like the narrator has some weird connection to this guy already. He says, he has this interesting, uh, when he says, I was told he'd been bucked off a half-broken horse on the ranch in San Francisco and had been left hopelessly crippled. I recall the sensation of unsettling magic that this news gave me. The only time I'd seen him, we'd been coming home on horseback from the ranch in San Francisco and he had been walking along a high place. Um, And I don't know what he's talking about with this unsettling magic other than maybe that weird feeling that you get when you hear that somebody you knew something happened to them like yeah it's probably like there was something about like that first encounter that made an impression on him yeah it's weird it's a weird uh, phrase i wonder like in the spanish in in the spanish it's uncomfortable magic magic but it's still magic it's still magic yeah yeah um and this is before he's even been been told the magic part of that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just about like, maybe he's like, oh, isn't it weird that I, my only vivid memory of him is using his legs and now you're telling me that's what he doesn't have anymore. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. some weird sort of like, did I, did I do that? <laughs> um, or it's like, I think like, I, I, there's something about this kid yeah. I can tell, you know, like, because right. it's such a weird gift to be able to, I, I take it like there's no, He's not wearing a watch. So <laughs> right. to, to be able to know the time perfectly without uh, looking at anything without looking at anything is a weird gift. And so, yeah. okay. So he yeah. says, this new event told by my cousin Bernardo struck me as very much like a dream confected out of elements of the past. I was told that Funes never stirred from his cot, his eyes fixed on the fig tree behind the house or on a spider web. At dusk, he would let himself be carried to the window. He was such a proud young man that he pretended that his disastrous fall had actually been fortunate. Twice I saw him on his cot behind the iron-barred window that crudely underscored his prisoner-like state, once lying motion- motionless with his eyes closed, the second time motionless as well, absorbed in the contemplation of a fragrant switch of Artemis- uh, Artemisia. Do you know what that is? No. I assume a flower. <laughs> Some sort. <laughs> well, what's a switch of it? What does that even mean? Like a stick. Like a switch oh, okay. is like a branch. Oh, right. Because you people like beat your kids with yeah, switches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how here Borges, you know, is like, he, he's self-deprecating. That's why I like, I want to believe that it is Borges who's, yeah. who's writing this. He says, it was not without some self-importance that about that same time I had embarked upon yeah. a systematic study of Latin. It's like you that going to That sounds like Borges. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like when Borges is writing in his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I admit, I admit I was being a little douchey about it. <laughs> yeah. But I was traveling literally in my suitcase. Of all the things you can pack in a suitcase, he had like four volumes of yeah. Latin text. <laughs> and so he says, because there are no secrets in these small towns, which if you have any experience in these small towns, is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely the case. Funes finds out and he sends him this like very flowery letter (laughs) reminding him of our lamentably ephemeral meeting on the 7th of February, 1884. And he basically asks him, he says, I want to learn Latin. Would you mind lending me some of your books? I promise it'll only be for a short time. I'll return them to you soon. Borges, I guess at first thought it was some sort of a joke. Brazen conceit. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, who is this fucking country Bumped country in, boy yeah. from uh, Uruguay yeah. that yeah. wants to uh, uh, like learn Latin just with a dictionary? Like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to send him like the most impossible text. I got this. <laughs> Which I assume Kishiraz Gradus Ad Parnassum is one of. And it's, <laughs> it's tough. 
Like, I'm not sure if that's the one I would have sent, um, <laughs> you know, to teach a, a young country boy his place. But um, it would be, yeah, it would be in the top five. So here's another little sort of self-deprecating uh, moment for Borges. Because right after that, he says, uh, on February 14th, he got a telegram from Buenos Aires urging him to return home immediately because his father was not at all well. And he says... He basically, he felt like a local hero that he had gotten a telegram. Right. <laughs> so he says, God forgive me, but the prestige of being the recipient of an urgent telegram, the desire to communicate to all of Fray Bentos, that little town, the contradiction between the negative form of the news and the absoluteness of the adverbial phrase, the temptation to dramatize my grief by feigning a viral stoicism, virile stoicism, all this perhaps distracted me from any possibility of real pain. So I, I get what he's saying, though. Like, totally. <laughs> you totally. get a little bit more important. Like something tragic happened to you. And so you're like, right. and you got it. a telegram in this town. <laughs> like they don't even know what a telegram is. And uh, it's totally true. It's like he like there's little sentences like that where Borja, like it's like if I wanted to write one of those like French novels where I like all the foibles of like human <laughs> beings are like, I could, you know, like here's just my little one little detail, you know. Because <laughs> it really gets at just the pathetic vanity that we can have. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So um, as he packs his bag, he re he just remembers at that moment that he was missing the the uh, two volumes that he had lent to uh, Funes. So uh, his ship was set to sail. Ship. You got It's a river you have to cross. Um and so after dinner that night, he walked over to Funis's house to pick up those two books that he had lent them. <laughs> At the honest little house, Funis's mother opened the door. So he walks uh, down the hallway. And again, he hears, suddenly I heard Irenaeo's high mocking voice. The voice was speaking Latin. With morbid pleasure, the voice emerging from the shadows was reciting a speech or a prayer or an incantation. The Roman syllables echoed in the patio of hard-packed earth. My trepidation made me think them incomprehensible and endless. Later, during the enormous conversation of that night, I learned that they were the first paragraph of the 24th chapter of the seventh book of Pliny's Naturalis Historia. The subject of that chapter is memory. The last words were, I'm going to butcher, ut nihil non isdem verbis redetur auditum, which I looked Wait. up at some point. Nothing that has been heard can be repeated with the same words. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's just like the the uh, an account of their interaction. Um, yeah. But what's interesting, he bends over backwards to remind you that this account is uh, reported by someone with a normal memory. You <laughs> exactly. Know? So, like, whatever we're seeing is the result of somebody trying to remember an interaction that happened. Yeah. I'm not sure. Do we know how many years <clears throat> earlier? I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think he says know. like, but you get the sense that it's been some years earlier at, at the very least. Yeah. We do know that it was in 84, 1884 that he first met him. And I think this is three years later. I think you can uh, calculate that from the last paragraph. But yeah, I love that that uh, that he's opening he's opening the door for some unreliable narrator stuff here, where he's saying like, "Yeah, I'm about to tell you the story. Like my story is really starting here, but my story is limited by my own memory. So everything I tell you about his perfect memory 
has the possibility <laughs> of being wrong because of my memory being imperfect. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, then we really get into exactly what his uh, both gift and curse is. As you say, he at least wants to portray or publicly express the yeah. attitude that he is, you know, that it's a gift. Yeah. And that, um, but certainly the narrator doesn't see it that way. And again, this is all filtered through this objective um, perspective of the narrator. But I, I got the sense that the, the just general mood was is not positive. Well, us. you know, it's a dark room. He's paralyzed and yeah. he's clearly obsessed in the way that um, yeah. we had a long discussion about a level of obsession in the Library of Babylon. Uh, a yeah. library of Babel. He's fascinated. The narrator is obviously fascinated by this guy, but how could that not be fucking depressing? You know, he's sitting here in a dark room and the way that he starts talking to him is that Funes starts um, naming off the cases of prodigious memory that are cataloged in the naturalist Historia. So he mentions mm -hmm. Cyrus, the King of Persia, who could call all the soldiers in his armies by name, Mithridates, Eupator, who meted out justice in the 22 languages of the kingdom over which he ruled, Simonides, the inventor of the art of memory, Metrodorus, who was able faithfully to repeat what he had heard, though it be but once. And there he says, with obvious sincerity, Irenaeo said he was amazed that such cases were even thought to be amazing. He's like, that's, that's what people think is special? Like, yeah, that's not special. But what do you think that's supposed to suggest? I mean, I, he has perfect memory. He knows that there is a reign of memory that people have. Is he really, and he knows that most people have very bad memories. And he, even himself, was probably one of those people, but like he, he didn't have perfect memory like he has now. So why this scorn? Why the, I feel like this is part of his character that, that Boris is giving us is his need to, I don't know, be superior or something like that is uh, constant, even though he knows. Like, there's no way that he didn't know that this is the kind of thing that people thought was impressive when it came to memory. I read it as, um, you know, Borges, I think, goes out of his way to say, he says, with, with obvious sincerity, he said he was amazed that those cases were thought to be amazing. It, in in the Spanish says with good faith he he said it um, in yes, good right. faith yeah. I think that maybe at least the feeling that I got was that this is again if you think about somebody that's heavily on the spectrum he was saying it matter of factly he realized that the gift that he had was so far above these that he was actually kind of amazed that anybody would bother to write in this great history book of these feats of memory when they just right. were like but that's not yeah. that impressive like. And it may have even been why he wanted to the books in the first place. Oh, like, yeah. To, I hadn't thought about to, that. Because uh, he heard about it and he's like, right. oh, it's finally somebody that I can connect with. And then it's like, oh, no, they're just like everybody else. Right. And in 1884 or whatever, it's not like you can find the translations. You know, no. it's not like you could just right. go. Yeah. No, you need some like. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't like, thought of it. Like in a quest. So now it makes more sense because in a quest for figuring out what you are, like he's trying to figure out what he is. Right. He's heard that there are these famous accounts. Yeah. And so he learns Latin, um, not to be pompous, but to like, 
you know, his equivalent of Googling. It's just going to take him a while to like learn the Latin, read the yeah. Pliny, um, and and then be like a little disappointed that these were the ones that yeah. that are written of in history. Like that's not like I'm not that. I'm like yeah, completely totally. yeah. It's like the thing that like if you have some condition or something like you want to immediately look up to see like if other people have uh this condition or or even if you've seen a movie and yeah. nobody's seen and there's nobody for you to talk to <laughs> right who's seen right. it you want other people and i think he's looking to connect with um other people but you know you remind me <clears throat> when i was defending my dissertation and i was on the job market i got a an attack of hives all over my body um i used to get hives i was i am allergic to dust mites and so i used to get hives as a kid in as an adult, like I, they went away. I was still allergic. I would sneeze and stuff. And every once in a while I'd get a little puffy, but I hadn't gotten hives in years. So I'm defending my dissertation. I'm on the job market. And I guess maybe it was stress or anxiety that triggered this, but all of a sudden my entire body broke out in hives, just covered. Yeah. Like, like n there was no spot aside from my face and my hands that didn't have hives on it. And they were like connected. And I remember going to the internet and looking up uh, Urticaria to see pictures and not seeing anybody who looked yeah. as bad as me <laughs> right. and thinking, those aren't hives. <laughs> These yeah. are hives. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's like, right, uh, that's, uh, not that's exactly what, yeah. that's, that's not a perfect memory. <laughs> Can we talk about like, so there's this f somewhat famous black mirror where you can have something installed in your eye that will yeah. give that will just record everything from your perspective that you um right uh, that you, that you see and you will always have the option of going back and, and looking at it and then also the uh Ted Chang's the truth of fact the truth of feeling also has a technology like that and it doesn't make the the people who have it not be able to think it it does give them at least uh, access to anything uh, Irenio has access to, but not immediately. Like they have to, they can turn it off, right? Like yeah. they they, can, they have to turn it on to make it work. Right. So there's something different about Irenio who has n no ability to switch this off that yeah. actually... Uh, sort of attacks and eats away at his ability to function as a normal yeah. human being. Whereas um, these people don't have that because even though they have access to the same information, they also have access to not having the information. And in fact, I think that some cases of memory are like that, where the people who do these memory feats, like um, the world memory championships or the people who can like, you know, remember, like they'll meet, they'll memorize the hundred people that they meet right there. Like the people who do these sort of side shows to show off their memory. Those people are using techniques to memorize that, um, are, are effortful. Right. You have, and, and so they can choose to recall or choose not to, but there are cases of people. There are not that many of them, but they're called, um, highly mm -hmm. superior auto HSAM, highly superior autobiographical memory. Those people, it's intrusive. They can't mm -hmm. help, but it's only autobiographical. So they can't help but remember if if you were to say like uh, July 12th, 1989, 
that whole day would come flooding into their into their mind, like everything they did that day. And so they can't help, they can't stop uh, that from entering their mind. And it feels like Funes has something like right. that, but on steroids, where he, those people don't have like, you know, I'm looking right now at the wood grain of my desk, right? I am perceiving the pattern. Um, there's no way in hell that I would remember like the details of that pattern. Um, even if I had an amazing autobiographical memory like these people, that's not going to be one of the things they remember. There's still a big filter right. uh, like on memory, which is what are the things that you remember? So Funes has this uh, curse or gift or whatever where everything that enters his senses becomes an encoded memory. Right, and it's indiscriminate. And then it's know? indiscriminate and it's intrusive. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing that I'm wondering, like, would it have to be that way? Um, and maybe it does. I'm thinking of like, if I think of my wedding day or I think of, you know, some big event in my life, the day Eliza was like, I have memories of that. But number one, in a weird way, they're constructed. Um, yeah. They're not a replica of like right. my perspective at that time, which is, I think, a key difference. Um, like even with my accurate memories, they're still constructed. Number two, like I, like there are things I remember. Like I remember seeing Eliza's head for the first time. I remember walking down the aisle. I remember like, like if, if I'm Funes, I'm going to remember with equal vividness, like every time I went to the bathroom or every yeah. time like I scratch myself. Seems like he's lost the ability to even tell what's important in that memory and what's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even worse is what I was going to say. Even worse than what you're uh, describing is uh, when I when I talk about memory and sensation and perception to my class, I always try to describe it as a sort of filter. Like there's all this stuff out there in the world um, and some of it hits your senses, right? Like you see some light, you don't see the whole spectrum of energy. You hear some sounds. Some of that stuff enters what's called sensory memory. It's like literally in and out that I saw like a blade of grass as I was walking my dog today, like uh, this specific blade of grass. It entered my eyes and it got processed right. in my brain, but my brain knows immediately that that's meaningless. So it doesn't even make my short-term memory, let alone yeah. uh, my, my long-term memory. Um, it seems as if the way that Borges wants to describe uh, Funes' memory is a way in which it's no, it doesn't exist for anybody, which is that blade of grass moving in the wind is as vivid as seeing your daughter's head appear. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So zero prioritization on information or on sensory. Right. Yeah. And and I guess the question I had was, and I like this gets more metaphysical too, like if you press it, but is there any reason why he can't emotionally favor some memories over the other while still remembering them? Right. But like, is there any reason or is it like the whole reason that we can prioritize like the importance of certain events is because our memory is already doing it for us, kind of like our memory is already kind of filtering out what's not important and what's important. And if you have perfect memory, then you can't ever like build that structure of systematizing like what is actually matters to remember and what doesn't, what was important or significant for you or what wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Totally. I think you're, you're right. So some of it is done maybe just automatically by the 
by the brain. A lot of it is done by either purposeful or or non so purposeful attention. Like whatever captures your attention has a better shot of right. So, but it's interesting though that you talk about emotion because the same people who have studied the um, these people with highly superior autobiographical memories. Um, they have done a lot of the work on uh, the role of emotion in memory. And so it it just is true of the human brain that things that are emotional are more likely to be remembered. And we have like a decent understanding of how that works. So it, it actually just solidifies those memories when you have an emotion like accompanying it. And it seems as if what we can infer is that whatever brain damage he had or whatever deficit he had, that mechanism is completely broken. He's not prioritizing right. at all. Like, right, because it doesn't need to anymore. Like emotional, if emotional resonance is needed to like help discern which memories to discard and which memories to keep, like you don't need that if you're going to just keep every single memory. Or that maybe he's maybe he's have a deficit in the emotional mechanisms, and so he does keep every memory because nothing gets highlighted, right? Everything gets right. like sort of weighted equally, and that's crazy to think that like the way that a blade of grass was moving in the wind and the way that the light was glistening off of it would have the same level of vividness and take up the same amount of space in your mind as the, the first time you saw your daughter being born. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Have you ever found yourself stuck, ruminating, sort of uh, hyper-focused on the problems that you have Unable to get out of that mindset and toward a more solution-oriented mindset. When you do, when you finally escape that sort of rumination, that, that mindset, it feels great. But sometimes it's hard to get there. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, get you out of that mindset of focusing, hyper-focusing on your problems and making it much easier to accomplish your goals by finding solutions, no matter how big or small that problem might be. That's just one of the ways that therapy can make a positive impact in your life. One of the many ways. I've been convinced for a long time that therapy is something that most people would benefit from. And in fact, I believe that BetterHelp really is one of the best opportunities for many people to receive that kind of therapy. Um, and I won't talk about a personal experience in therapy right now, but I do want to mention uh, one of my best friends who just recently told me that uh, he and his fiance are starting to see couples counseling, um, get couples therapy sessions from BetterHelp and what a difference it has made. Obviously, these are two people who are in love, uh, but even in the best of moments, we sometimes encounter conflicts when we're sharing life with somebody else. And so the ability to talk to an impartial therapist who's trained to deal with those kinds of problems has meant a great deal to my friend and his fiance. Again, we all have different issues. We're all at different stages in life, but therapy could very well help you at whatever stage you're at. So if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. I truly believe that. It's convenient. It's affordable. It's accessible. It's entirely online. It's easy to schedule something. It's low-hanging fruit to give it a try. And if you do go to BetterHelp, you'll get matched with a therapist by just filling out a brief survey telling them about yourself. And if you don't like that therapist, you can change therapists at any time. So if you want to be a better problem solver, if you're determined to try to make that change in your life, therapy can help get you there. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash VBW today to get 10% off of your first month of therapy. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Are they incompatible? And maybe they are for empirical reasons, not conceptual reasons, but it seems like you could imagine somebody with this perfect recall who is still able to decide which memories made him happier. And also, just again at a more metaphysical level, would be able to say, as we understand dogs, that's the same dog. Um, This is what I don't fully get about it. Like The reason I think Jen is the same Jen when I'm going to go down and see her, you know, I haven't seen her since this morning, when I go down and see her in the evening, that that's the same Jen is not because I think she looks identical to the same Jen that I saw this morning, but just that uh, I know that, you know, like you can she lives in the house. Real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it's, it's, it, it's like the way it attacks his ability to generalize. It's not clear to me how that follows from perfect memory. And especially for someone who didn't have perfect memory before. And so who gets that, people refer to someone as the same person, even if they look different or they see them from a different angle. And also people who get, oh, like pieces of fruit that look like this, we call that a pear. You know, even though like there are different pears and there are different kinds of fruits that, you know, like are ambiguous or whatever. What I never fully got about his condition is why it attacks his ability to generalize just even in pragmatic ways so strongly, why it just obliterates that so strongly why it just obliterates that capacity the way i understood it was but there's a couple of things that i think you're saying one is um even if he has perfect recall why can't he still prioritize but but you're putting the cart before the horse and maybe this is the empirical part which is right the prioritizing is what makes you remember so that's why in a normal person we forget most things that ever happen the only things yeah. we remember are prior things that we prioritize, whether they're prioritized because they caused us to have an emotion or whether we chose to rehearse them like um, in memory he, because the prioritizing isn't happening anywhere near like the low levels that it's happening to us. Like I know to ignore the blade of grass, it sticks in there and it won't leave. And so, so that's one part. And I think that's so just, is the idea that like, I, if I, if I, if my brain wasn't already filtering out like a lot of the differences between Charlie two days ago and Charlie now, I would really not be able to like. Well, so okay, get, well that's the second part because I yeah. like I I don't know that it follows that, that 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 would be the case, but I think this is what Borges wants. To say what does it mean to say that something is the same? Right. It means that you are forgetting, and this is the you know the money shot of this of the article is that it is to forget a difference. And he can't forget any of those differences. He's like, no, I get that to you it's the same as if an alien would say David and Tamler are both human and he would never bother to think that they're two different humans. He can't do that with blades of grass and he can't even do that with time, which is interesting. Um, My little pushback is me remembering you as the same David Pizarro from 10 years ago. I don't think that me uh, thinking that you're still David Pizarro is because I forget all the differences between David Pizarro at, uh, you know, in 2012 and David Pizarro mm-hmm. now. 
I, I feel like I'm just acknowledging that we call somebody the same person, even though there are a ton of differences. And, and it may be that like they're completely not how you remember them um, the next time you see them. It's still the same person because that's our convention of, you know, we call the same person with the biological lifespan that person. Right. But we're not necessarily forgetting all the differences. Now, maybe the idea is, okay, you're acknowledging that there are differences, but if you really knew how many differences there are, like the thing that makes you even have this convention as the first place is that you focus more on the similarities in personality, similarities in, in, in space and time, yeah. similarities. But if you really knew how different everybody was, we just wouldn't even have that convention in the first place and it wouldn't make sense. Is that the idea? I think so. I think what we're getting is maybe a slow decline into an inability to reason as well, because obviously he remembers Borges from the first trip. So right. it's not that he, and he can't, knows to ask him and he knows to ask him and he knows to write him. So it's yeah. not that he can't, the feeling that I got um, is that as as this memory condition where he remembers everything and remembers all of the differences, the differences are intrusive because, you know, he's, he, he can't forget them. He can, right. um, that he's, he's developing, I, the way that I read it is that he's developing a metaphysics where he is now perplexed at what it even means to say that something is the same. Yeah. Because right. he, because he experiences everything uh, as so different each time in the real Heraclitus kind of way. Like he's actually experiencing it that way. So his metaphysics is kind of changing. And that's why I feel like he's systematizing yeah. in a way that's so odd where, right. where <laughs> right. he gives every number a name as opposed to, uh, because God, like, and, and it feels like he's going to continue. Like at some point he won't even be happy saying it's the same number. No, he's a true particularist. He's a true... Um, and I feel like in decline. His metaphysics is in decline as this has well, taken over his life. Or progressing. Or progressing, like, right? He yeah. is like, par if Parfit bit the bullet experientially and was yeah. like, no, I really am not the same person. You right. really are not the same person. Like, I'm right. going to act as if that's true. That's what I like about the phrasing of it irritated him that the dog at 314 <laughs> from this that's angle... Right. It's like the use of irritation or in some translations, I think it's bothered, but like it, yeah, exactly. it, suggests, it suggests that this is an ongoing process. It's not that his, like, it's just like, why would we have a metaphysics where this dog that looks so different at this moment is also this? It's not that he doesn't get that by convention, yeah, that's what the right, deal is. Right. It's that it just seems so like incomprehensibly strange like stupid to him right. it's like right it's, it's like no, it's like this it's just as as no more similar than like another dog that i would be looking at from the same angle like uh you know like like I, that should be the same dog yeah. i'm looking from the exact same angle or something like that you yeah know? no that's a great way to put it that irritate that's totally right that irritation he knows he knows but it would be like you and i encountering somebody who was like hey look at that we saw that yesterday and we were like what are you talking about that's an elephant and you just realized that they were talking about gray things and like they they were referring to a rock <laughs> right. from like, right. <laughs> like no, yeah. it's a gray thing. Like you telling me that's not a gray thing? And you're like, but there are so many other Yeah, that irritation. And yeah. and he kind of knows, he says, My memory, sir, is like a garbage heap. Yeah. Um he knows that something is is wrong, uh, or at least different 
you know, I think he's increasingly convinced that he's right. Right. He's uh, right, but it's like he also knows that it's like destructive in a certain way. Yeah. Like it's a tragic story in that sense. In that like I think at least definitely the way he perceives it, he is gaining more accuracy at the expense of being a functional person, at least. And I, I don't know, like, I, you could read into the pulmonary congestion. Like, that's how he dies. Is it, like, just too much? Like, everybody needs oxygen, but maybe, like, too much oxygen or, uh, you know. Maybe he stopped or, being able to tell the difference between oxygen and nitrogen. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. <laughs> or you too, know? too much. Yeah. Here's the other thing that seems like such a difference in kind. Um, one of the things that you become aware of as you get older, memory really is a construction. And a lot of your memories, even like memories that you have with other people are like joint constructions. It's it's not like the Black Mirror thing at all. Like in the example that I, I wanted to say from this, cause it just happened like this summer, I was on a camping trip with Eliza and I told her this story about how like one of my friends from high school, Ed and me got lost in this hotel and we were going from just this kind of abandoned hotel going to different floors. And I had this vague memory, but I could see us both doing that at some point. And she was like, that was me and, <laughs> and Sadie. And I told you that story. <laughs> so I had literally totally. co-opted her memory, yeah. made it into my memory with like my analog of that friend. And like, uh, yeah. and it's just like, it just... And then I realized I must do that all the time, even with ones that aren't like li literally somebody else's memory totally. that I have just like. And, and that's that's so. So in that sense, it's like completely different yeah. what we experience with memory and what uh, what he experiences. In yeah, memory. no, absolutely. There's a I know exactly uh, what you mean. And it's true. Like, this is why we have false memories all the time, because because we tend to talk about things. So like the famous studies on, on um, these flashbulb memories where people say they remember exactly where they were when this happened. When people went back and researched it, they found out that a lot of those memories weren't accurate at all. And it's because we rehearse those events with each other. So like if yeah. I ask you where you were during 9-11, um, we've talked about, you talk about it so much with other people, you start incorporating yeah. that shit into your own story and mm -hmm. unable to distinguish. Like... Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, but it, but you feel them as memories as them. much as anything that turns out to be a true, like yeah. or more or less accurate. Right. Or, and it really is an active act. And so I think that's like such a big difference, probably then in terms of your metaphysics. If if everything that happens before you is something that you're constructing in your mind, then you're clearly bringing so much to the table in terms of. Uh, processing like there, it is a Kantian thing it's a yeah. very Kantian thing where you're just importing all sorts of categories not just space and time and uh, duration or whatever but yeah. like you're, you're you're imposing all these things on your past as you understand it some of them that are approximately accurate and some of them are completely made up but right. there's something that's making you do all those things that uh, like yeah. completely will affect how you understand reality yeah, even at the level of sensation and perception, you have this where, you know, it's like little kids, infants learn really quickly that what an object is and, what you know, like that that um, a glass on a table is a glass on a table, not like some sort of glass table thing. 
right? Yeah. Like they they can right. they they develop or they come, you know, depending who you ask. Like they either learn it really fast or they came in knowing what those rules are, and and those shared those shared rules mean we have a shared reality, and so the metaphysics uh, becomes a shared one where it's like uh, glasses are a thing, tables are a thing, table glasses aren't a thing. Like right. I, you know, right? And it feels like. Uh, Funes's metaphysics is just getting fucked because it isn't including categories anymore. It only has yeah. instances. Everything is all one thing. Everything uh, is or or a river. It's the Heracliton yeah, River, right? And uh, and so there is no category that contains two things. Right. Yeah. Everything is its own thing. Yeah, and so there's a kind of holisticness to his experience, which is it's it's like. You know, you you work towards this and some Buddhist practices, but that everything is just this flow, this ocean of like non-dual consciousness. And, you know, the categories that we impose, the distinctions that we impose are that's our contribution. But everything right. is just everything is just the same stuff um, completely and totally always in flux. Very Heracliton. And that's I, I do get the sense that Borges is trying to portray that that is how he sees the world, but not in a way that makes him, I don't know, blissful or enlightened. Well, so, so, I, so this is what confuses me because I, I, I get what you're saying and I get how that might be the result of somebody who has Funes' way of processing these memories. But it's very much described as not oneness. So I could see like being overwhelmed by yeah. the fact that there are 18 billion things. And right. then treating it all as one sort of stream. But he's lit like I feel like what's bothering him here is that he's seeing 18 billion things, not like 18 things like you and I are seeing. Right, right, exactly. And it's certainly not one thing, one harmonious whole yeah, that he's seeing. Because right. he talks about things as having their own kind of separate existence. I wonder if that's because he's in this transitional period, like you were saying before. I mean, yeah. maybe, I mean, he dies of pulmonary congestion. Yeah, but maybe uh, had he not died of that, he could have, could like, it could be like, this is this sort of really uncomfortable inter interstitant period, this right. transitional state. There's some stuff that we definitely, I definitely wanted, wanted to get to, like um, the, the, the systems that he starts working with, where he starts, uh, where he... He says that he's going to develop a system of enumeration, but what bothers him is that um, numbers are treated as like 100 or 200. They're just like one of this thing and two of this thing, when in reality, they're all like 100 different things, so they should each have their own name. Their own name, yeah. So he applies this mad principle to the other numbers. Instead of 7,013, he would say Maximo Perez. This is a part where I think Borges is just like hilarious like i think where is having some fun with yeah. that he says uh instead of 7014 it would be the railroad other numbers yeah. were luis melian lafinur olimar sulfur clubs the whale gas a stew pot napoleon Agustin de vedia instead of 500 he said nine <laughs> yeah i love that I love instead that. of 500 he said <laughs> yeah uh so uh they're always on the borderline of going crazy. Like the Zahir is like this, you know, Talan Ukbar. <laughs> They're always like, as they get put in touch with the infinite, it's never like this kind of transcendent, like great. Like, it's just like, they're going fucking insane. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you know, he says his own face in the mirror. So right after that dog example that, that yeah. you were talking about, he says his own face in the mirror, his own hand surprised him every time he saw them, which is kind of interesting because it means that he's still at the point where he's expecting to see the category right. him. And now exactly. he's seeing like a different. <laughs> exactly. That's the like, because he's in this transitional right. phase where he hasn't given fully to the flow. But when he sees himself and the just the vast differences that there must be between even if he, you know, is wearing the same clothes and like, so, like yeah. there's so many differences, like it's just like there's no way that could be me. Like it's like every right. time there's some completely different person in the mirror, you know. Right, right. And so because now his experience is made up of so many more things, like I guess metaphysically things, he wants to develop this uh, a catalog a vocabulary to give each of those things a name. So the dog at 315, uh, yeah. you know, this is one of those like mind blowing things like the, uh, like the author of the Quixote. It's just pushing my mind's uh, yeah. like ability uh, to even to grasp what, yeah, to process. Yeah. Like he wants everything to have a name. So he starts doing it, but he realizes that it's doomed because it takes him one full day to remember all the details of one full day. So he might be able to catalog his childhood memories, but it will, but you know, take like, be old, old yeah, by the time that happens. 10 lifetimes to really yeah. do that. Right. Um, and so then it says, uh, to getting toward the end here, uh, that he couldn't sleep because to sleep, Borges says, is to take one's mind from the world. It's actually in the Spanish, it's to distract yourself from the world. Mm -hmm. And Funes lying on his back on his cot in the dimness of his room could picture every crack in the wall, every molding of the precise houses that surrounded him. So this is what I think is so like such an interesting idea. He, in order to fall asleep, he has to imagine houses in a neighborhood that, it, that is completely unfamiliar to him that he's never seen before. Cause there he can imagine homogenous houses yeah. Yeah, and right. in the ability to like not notice all the differences, his mind can finally uh, rest off and, and right. fall asleep. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, it was inspired, as you uh, texted me, by uh, his own insomnia. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at times he talks about it as if it's a metaphor for insomnia. But And, and we all have this experience of your mind racing and... Yeah you can't uh, fall asleep. But I love this idea that the thing that allows you to fall asleep is not that you stop thinking, but you start, your, your thinking is a fuzzier things. Yeah. It's, it's when you're like, it's when you're really remembering things, something you did that day or something you have to do tomorrow or something like, and it all feels very sharp and vivid. That's when you're really struggling to sleep. But when your memories get kind of more hazy, then you can right. uh, actually relax and fall asleep. Yeah, count so sheep. Only yeah. focus on the one thing, not all the things. Yeah, and even counting sheep, like what does that mean? Like you've right. never seen sheep like jump <laughs> over a little railing before. So you're just kind of, so you're, you have a very vague picture of that in your head. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Uh, that's sad. Like there's, a, again, there's always a little bit of a tragic element yeah. to his stuff. You know, we yeah. had this amazing MC Escher exhibit that just came to Houston. It's been here all summer. I've seen it three times. And I'm not like an mm. art person really, but like this exhibit like had all of, like pretty much all of his, like his most famous uh, works. Like there's like 50 masterpieces in this exhibit, probably more. That's super cool. It's so fucking amazing. And he was also, I think in conjunction, influenced by Borges, I think they uh, had interacted, but they were both have this fascination with the infinite 
And a lot of Escher's stuff is about these kind of infinite loops, these Mobius strips, these... But with Escher, you get this sense of just ebullience, like this excitement, this just... It's it's this kind of nonstop playfulness that... There's there's some dark themes in some of them, but the overall sense you get is of this like bursting with enthusiasm, all these <laughs> right. new ideas, all these cool things to think about. One of the really interesting things about Borges is like he's fascinated by these ideas, but he there's always a weight to them. There's a cost. Oh, you know? totally, totally. And and he he makes you feel it um, uh, like in this story uh, at the end here. So he says. Um, in the teeming world of Ireneo Funes, there were there was nothing but particulars, and they were virtually immediate particulars. In the Spanish, it says it uses different uh, different words there. It says something like there were no there weren't even details; they were only immediacies. Mm-hmm. So, like he's not even like instances are their own details. Like and that, that parsing through time is like enough. And, and then Borges says, which gets to that sentiment that you're describing, Irineo was 19. He had been born in 1868. He looked to me as mo- as monumental as bronze, older than Egypt, older than the prophecies in the, yeah. and the pyramids. I was struck by the thought that every word I spoke, every expression of my face or motion of my hand would endure in his implacable memory. I was rendered clumsy by the fear of making pointless gestures. The Spanish is more like I was frozen in fear. And so he's afraid that like just him moving yep. is like filling up this guy's mind with useless information. Yeah, and right. that can't be good for him. Right, because uh, there's something earlier, I, I want to find it, where he says he doesn't just remember things. He Every time he remembers them, he remembers remembering that. Oh. And then he remembers remembering uh, the oh. remembering of it. And so every memory spins off a possible infinite number of memories because it is infinite, his capacity, right? And again, it's like Asher plays with this where he has like himself, like a self-portrait looking into a sphere and then you see like his face in the sphere holding another sphere and like it goes all, but in this case, like like you said, it's like, this is really bad. This is (laughs) driving crazy. And like, he doesn't want to add to like some new infinite sequence of memories of, uh, right. you know. It reminds me of the that quote that I love from Borges about mirrors and copulation multiplying, yes. you know. It's like, I don't want now. That's in, in this, uh, Emma Zunz, right? Yeah, Is yeah, that that's yeah, right, yeah. 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 Um, he doesn't want to multiply it in the mind of Irenaeo because, he, you know, and when I, I took this to me, I don't know if you did, but when he says that he looked as monumental as bronze, older than Egypt, in his mind, he contained the same amount of in whatever information, memories, as a civilization would. And so he, he's feeling the weight of that. It's, you can see on his face that yeah. he is as old as the pyramids, yeah. uh, even though he's only 19. Right, um, and that's so sad too. That he's I know, nineteen. It's so sad. Yeah, you know, he was always clearly a precocious uh, <laughs> kid. You know, but like, yeah, like he's lived like eight thousand lifetimes, but painful lifetimes. By the time he dies at twenty-one, and what makes me sad is what you pointed out that I hadn't thought of uh, that he would be that he would be picking up those Latin books just to try to find out what was wrong with him mm-hmm. and finding that nobody else, he was alone in this. Nobody yeah. else had that. Like those were parlor tricks. He's like the weight of the fucking metaphysics. Right. Like metaphysics is multiplying in his head. Right. Uh, 
yeah. at a rate that it has for no man before him. Yeah, it's like if you were a mind reader all of a sudden like could read other yeah. people's mind and then you want to like hear of other people's mind readers and you know, oh no, that's just a fucking trick that they're right. playing on the audiences. Yeah. I you know, it's funny, like one of the love things I love about this podcast, like something like that, I didn't think of. It just came up in the conversation and I had yeah. and that idea just popped into my head as we were talking based on something you just said. You know, yeah. like this is Absolutely. one of those things where just talking about something is part of interpretation you know it's part of like Absolutely. how you understand things it's uh and we can't it would be wrong to credit uh either of us for ideas sometimes yeah when we have them as a process of like the dialectic i don't know what word yeah. to say it emerges it's an emergent it's an emergent property of a <laughs> Um, um Marx Marxist dialectic, right? <laughs> yeah. No, maybe a Hegel that's that that undersells it, I think. It's a Hegelian dialectic. <laughs> <laughs> um so there is that thing that you're pointing out about the difference between Escher and Borges. And I remember I don't I don't remember where oh, it's in Borges and I, where he says this Borges uh I also like to play games with infinity. Um, I think he uses that phrase, games with infinity. Yeah. And that's what Escher is doing. Yeah. Borges is playing games with infinity that have like a uh, a tragic. Yeah. Like there is there is that the tragedy. There there is like peering into infinity and and being it's a bit of horror. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a weariness. There's a wild yeah. bill kind of weariness to a lot of these <laughs> right. characters. Exactly. You know, just like the yeah. heaviness of and in this case it's just infinity that's causing them yeah. that, uh, in some in some form or, or another. He's right. great. You know, yeah. uh we I, I get we should wrap this yes, up. Yes, we have but, to Irena uh, Funes died in eighteen eighty nine of pulmonary congestion. Tamler. On the looking at yourself in the mirror topic, I never really understood like what it must feel like viscerally for him until today. <laughs> like I'm doing this team taught great books course that I do in the fall and you go to a lecture and then I had to go teach my section right after that and it was downpour and I never bring an umbrella, so it was a downpour. I just got a haircut and I go into the bathroom. I see my class. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to go like uh, dry <laughs> off because I got completely drenched. And, you know, I have a decent head yeah. of hair for a man of my years, but like <laughs> when the rain is all down it on it, like you could just see what a like, facade <laughs> it was. It's like one of those Hollywood like fronts of like, like to the point that I didn't know that. And I saw my like in my head and it's like just these streaks down otherwise like bald head, just these streaks of, of hair. And I'm like, who the fuck is ah? Like, what is that? Who is that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's how he must feel like every yeah. time. Like, yeah, like, what is that? Like, I, I, I would not have recognized. I didn't think you could put as much, you could pour a bucket of water on my head. I did not think like I could look like that's that. That's why I don't, that's why I refuse to let people take pictures from above and behind me. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what time will do to us all. Um, <laughs> hey, Tamler, happy 10 year yeah. anniversary, but I'm realizing could be like a billion anniversary. Who said who said we had to divide it up by years? <laughs> exactly. What does it even yeah. mean to say happy happy sulfur uh, anniversary? Happy sulfur. <laughs> happy fourth <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> All right, join us next time on Very Bad.
say, good man, just a very bad wizard.